What is up, wrestling fans? Welcome to another pay-per-view point edition of the Smart Out Moment Smack Talk podcast. AEW Revolution 2020 just happened a few minutes ago, and we are going to give our normal breakdown of the recap of the results, the highlights, the low points, everything that we want to talk about in this post-show review and uh, assessment of everything that happened. I am your host as always, Tony Mango, and joining me as always are Robert DeFelice. Hey, hey. And Callum Wiggins. Well, we were right. This was better than Crown Jewel or Super Showdown, whatever that <laughs> sweet Saudi yeah. money, sweet Saudi uh, money five or whatever it was. <laughs> Both Listen, it did not correct. have a lot. It did not have a lot to beat, <laughs> but it fucking blew it out of the water. Yeah, um, the to bury the lead. This was a vastly better pay per view in many many regards. And um, if you're expecting some kind of rant thing, you're going to be disappointed because there's not a whole lot to just be like, oh, this sucked. I don't know what they're going to do in the future. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's our rant voice. I don't know. And, um, you know, we still got some positives. We still have some negatives, too. I'm, I'm not going to be entirely 100% positive about everything. I'm going to be fair as fair, just the way that things normally are. But I invite you to do the same, whether you love this or you might have even hated it. Who knows? Drop your comments below on YouTube. And while you're over there, hit that subscribe button if you haven't done that already. Ring that little notification bell. Hit that like button on the video as well because that helps out quite a bit. And if you are on the audio-only platforms, you know, the Spotify feed, Stitcher uh, side of things, iTunes, Google Play, whatever it is, and you can't leave the comments and you don't want to leave comments on YouTube, then leave a comment on smartoutmoment.com. Send me a tweet, post something on Facebook, you know, anything that goes along with that. Just express yourselves. Tell us what you're thinking as well, because it's not just about us. It's also about what you guys have to say. And um, I think we should just get started with uh, the buy-in, because that makes sense. Instead of going around and being like, the main event was blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm not going to go in that direction. We had... The first talking point that I have written down here is that Scorpio Sky and Frankie Kazarian had told Christopher Daniels, sit this one out. Don't come out to the ring. And he was disappointed, and that kind of set up this idea that, uh-oh, something's going to happen. Is he going to come out and turn on them? Is it going to be that they really could have used his help with some kind of a post-match beatdown? Is this going to be the setup for the Exalted One? Blah, blah, blah. Um how were you guys feeling with that? What where were you thinking that that was going to go? I assumed Daniels would be laid out in the back. Like, oh, we want, we want to protect you, but ah, you got hurt anyway. Boo. Uh, I can't really comment. I didn't see anything on the bottom until the actual match started. So, oh. so you have to. Were you having issues, or was that like a a decision? I honestly didn't know that it was being streamed through Twitter. They don't make it. Ex- they don't make it pretty obvious. Well, so, at least in my thing, they didn't make it obvious where it was being taken place. So there were issues initially on YouTube and Bleacher, and then they went live on Periscope, which is just Twitter, and that's when it got put together. I didn't have any uh, BR live stuff. That's fine. Watch you watch your be alive. I watch on fight. So it wasn't. So the show it didn't. The fight didn't include the buy-in. It only started at one o'clock or well, oh. one o'clock my time. So whatever your time was, seven thirty for us. For the yeah. uh, the buy-in, but or at least for me. Oh, there's people in Mountain Time and stuff that obviously wasn't. That's how time zones work. Isn't uh, daily well, we savings got- coming up soon or something? By the way, 
I hope so. Uh, well, for, well, for fight, you only got the uh, the main show. You didn't. It didn't include the buy-in. It started from the main show, so it started from the uh, the Hager and uh, Dustin Rhodes match. That's weird that they wouldn't just also include the buy-in. It's not like it's like uh, you're getting buying the buy-in and getting the rest of it or something. It's it's the reverse. You know, you should be able to get the pre-show. Hmm. Well. That ended up happening. They ended up uh, having their match, Stu Grayson and Evil Uno against Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky. And um, yeah, the match was fine for me. It was nothing really all that memorable for the match itself. I didn't really like the ending, but yeah. What did you guys think? Good. Yeah, it was, a, yeah, it was, an, it was an okay match. I think it, it followed... A pretty similar AEW trend of the match probably going on too long and too many big moves being kicked out at the end, especially because I think at one point uh, Doc Order hit this nice combination powerbomb move, which kicked out of, and then the finishes a clothesline to the back of the head. So are you talking about the powerbomb that was like? Because I there was a powerbomb spot that I didn't like. We might be talking about the same thing where Uno tossed Sky to Grayson, who tossed him back to Uno for a powerbomb. Yeah, I thought that was cool. I didn't like that at all. I was just like, why the fuck didn't he just powerbomb him? Why is he asking, what's this, hot potato? Like, it didn't seem all that flashy enough to be worth it to me. And like, uh, for the, it was like something extra for the sake of extra instead of for the execution of it. I didn't like that. Rob, you the, the, mm-hmm. the difference in factor. Was that great? No, I thought it was or, cool. Sorry, Tony. <laughs> well, fair's fair. Um, I'm sure that there's going to be at least one match on this that people are going to disagree with me on uh, quite a bit, but um, I think that the most important thing of this, and correct me if I'm wrong, or at least differing opinion, was the post-match stuff. Oh yeah, that was the most important stuff out of this. We had the Dark Order attacked SCU afterward, they just you know kept the attack going, and Colt Cabana came out to make the save. And he failed, but he tried, and, you know. <laughs> and then they had a hooded, robed figure come out, teasing obviously the idea that it's the exalted one. And it's Christopher Daniels. And for a split second, it becomes like, oh, okay, well, Christopher Daniels is the exalted one, and he's going to continue to mess him up. But he helps out Sky and Kazarian. So I think at this point, if they were to do anything that said that Daniels was the exalted one, it would be very. Uh, backtracking and retconning in a way that makes it seem like they had another plan and they just went in a different direction instead. Like, now I think we can close that book. Daniel should not be the exalted one. I like that. I've long since moved on from the idea that he was, but I thought this was more playing on the rumors that Daniels was supposed to be the higher power in 99 and they were just having a little fun with the rumors I, I think they were playing off the um the exalted one thing i mean you could tell basically by the um the face of the dark order they weren't exactly expecting the the um, exalted one to come out during the during this beatdown. so they all seemed a little bit confused and then daniels takes the robe off and starts cleaning house with everyone else so I think we can kind of read into it that at the very least, it's unlikely that the exalted one, it, it's, it's almost, it's definitely not Christopher Daniels, but 
there's also the possibility that the person who's supposed to be the exalted one isn't signed with the company right now, but maybe in the next like 24 hours or so. Uh, I would say uh, next couple days, maybe by Wednesday we get a look at the exalted one. Well, if they do reveal that, it obviously makes more sense for them to do it on Dynamite instead of just like on social media or something like that. So we would assume that we're going to get something on Wednesday or the following Wednesday or the following Wednesday or whatever. They did announce something that uh, they did it later on, but we'll skip to it right now. March 25th, they're going to have essentially their version of War Games. And they're using that Blood and Guts name. I don't I think, think the that's... match is I don't think the match is called Blood and Guts. I think that's the tagline for the dynamite. That's and still the match stupid. Is be called the match beyond. Both oh. of that's stupid. If it's the match beyond <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> fuck you, what are you the one of the characters from Futurama or something? That's so dumb. And I mean, Blood and Guts. Like... <laughs> I mean, it's it's obvious why it's called Blood and Guts. Yeah. Because Vincent Mann has referred to, mm-hmm. oh, WWE doesn't do this blood and guts nonsense, and so it's a rib on that. Yeah, but it's right. just not a good rib. I think it is. I yeah, think a lot of people think it is. I yeah, think it's it, it, such a lame attempt at it. It's like somebody, I don't know, somebody saying like, oh, you're an idiot, and then you go like, yeah, Mr. Idiot, and you're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's, no, I don't think it's I, clever. I think it, no, I think it's um, I, I, I think it's. I don't think it's necessarily super clever, but it's pertinent to the idea of, oh, you just think that we're all blood and guts, but we're going to call it blood and guts, and we're going to put on a better show than you guys could put on, essentially. Right. So we're just going, oh, we'll call a show blood and guts, like the thing that you guys aren't, and then we're going to beat you in the ratings with it as well. So I feel like I, I feel like well, as long as that show does beat them in the ratings, obviously, but I think if it goes by recent trends, that's not going to be too difficult. Right. Well, it's not like WWE is going to try to counter program by having a special episode of NXT called uh, "Family Friendly" or something. You know, it's oh yeah, your blood and guts. Well, we're PG, so tune in uh, to the next episode of NXT called uh, "PG Playground" or something. <laughs> well, since we don't usually preview dynamites, who do you think will be in the war games? We have to assume that Inner Circle is on one side of it, mm-hmm. right? But so the other side could be a, a mix of a lot of other people. Like they could go all elite and have like just do like a special edition of that, which is kind of outside of the storyline realm. Or you could have a combination of Moxley, Darby Allen, Dustin Rhodes, and some sort of tag team, maybe the Young Bucks. But it could be any tag team to take on Santana and Ortiz. Is there anybody feuding with uh, Ortiz and Santana? I don't no, think so. No. Not particularly at the moment, no. But I, I guess you could toss in um, like two members of Jurassic Express to do that. They did do the whole idea of Jurassic Express is going to be paying attention to things tonight, and they've had some run-ins before and all that, so that could work. But it shouldn't, at the very least, be uh, Lucha Bros. Shouldn't be best friends. Uh, shouldn't be like the hybrid two or anything. So I would kind of assume. That that's maybe where they go is inner circle against a random smattering of like Moxley and Allen and Dustin and Well the inner circle does seem like a given. I wouldn't put it past them to be to have it be Team Cody versus Team MJF. And 
on Team MJF, I would definitely have a guy like Sean Spears. He totally Blanchard on the outside of it with Arn Anderson on the outside of it to play off that. Um, I would say Kenny and Hangman should be in this. And you got Butcher and Blade on the other side. So, like, there, there's people you could play with. It doesn't necessarily have to be a lead person or circle, even though it should. And there is a couple more uh, weeks that they could have a whole, like, build some new story out of something or whatever. They don't have to just go from Revolution. It's not next week that this is happening. So they could start a new feud. Yeah. Maybe um, Butcher and Blade start feuding with um, the Young Bucks. And then they end up switching, like, like you said, like if it's like Team Cody or something like that, maybe it's like Cody and uh, somebody and then Young Bucks against me. You know, they could, they could play around with some kind of things like that. I'm just not a big fan of the name. And that's one of my lower points of the night. I was just like, nah, crap. I was hoping that that blood and guts thing was just bullshit. But then again, I don't like the name Revolution either. So, hey. Well, golly, what would you have called tonight's event? I don't know. Something that's not as bland. I don't like the the one name event things like that. Like, I hate, like, WWE payback and vengeance and all that. I'm like, all right, well, at that point. I'll take those over Hell in a Cell any day. Uh, Hell in a Cell's got a good name. It's just it doesn't we have to have, like, every October. Now we're having the Hell in a Cell match, that kind of thing. Give me more along the lines of, like, SummerSlam. And, uh... What, those one-word pay-per-views? <laughs> it is one word, technically speaking. But you know what I mean. I don't like... Like WrestleMania and SummerSlam. I don't well, like what... what he's saying is the man wants a wrestling pun. Mm. A, a pun or some kind of, like, theme thing to it that isn't just, like... So if it was called Resolution instead, you would be fine with it? I would still think it's kind of dumb, but I would like it a little bit better. <laughs> At least then it would kind of be like, all right, you're, you're trying something here. Not just... I know we've got people fighting and this one's going to be called like fight. <laughs> you know, Cause that's what they come off as like NXT takeover respect. I'm like, ah, hated that. It's one of my least favorite things I've ever done. But I tell you one thing I did really like that. I normally don't like the national anthem. And the reason I normally don't like this is because people go a little too crazy with it. It's always just like, and the red parts, and people never really sing the song. They just want to show off their vocal range. And um, uh, what's her name? I totally didn't write it down, so I don't remember her name. It was like, uh, started with a D. Uh, Whatever her name was, hats off to her. She did it, just sang the song. And it comes out so much better that way. So thumbs up on that. Not digging uh, Dustin Rhodes's mouth paint, though. Thought that was a little weird. Even weirder. It's uh, maybe I'm gonna make something out of something that either people would be like. Normally, you'd be on the opposite side of this, but in 2020, when everybody's upset over every little thing in the world, I wonder why they took the risk of having Dustin block a strike from Hager's wife and kiss her in return. That just seems like old school. I'm not understanding the me too kind of error type of thing to me you know what i mean well, you just answered your own question with the words old school like that's that's why it was harmless she's clearly trying to be some kind of a character she's all over this thing uh i thought it was weird but like you could also clearly see he wasn't even remotely trying to kiss her 
Uh, it's a weird touch to me, and it actually started one of the trends of the night. There was four times where somebody did something where they like licked somebody or something like that. It was one of the themes. We don't I feel like shame here, I, I feel like it's it, it's again it's something that's going to get people talking the wrong way, and so you, it's likely that you shouldn't take the risk. I personally wasn't super offended by it because quite audible you'd hear quite audibly in the seconds before he did that that she was talking about if you don't break this guy's arm during this match like to to Hager. So I feel like she's not exactly uh I'll say blameless yeah. or like she's not she's not exactly a good person herself. Yeah. So if it was like she was just like, oh hey like Jake, don't don't be so hard on him. He's like he suffered enough, and then he did it. Then I'd say, yeah, fuck that guy. But it's like she wanted him to essentially rip that rip her road his arm off. So yeah, it's probably weird, off lightly. A weird choice to me that they put that in there, and even weirder than Hager licks Dustin's face. But that I don't know. I think they're just trying to get the like the aggression thing out there yeah uh, like, when i when i think aggression i go i don't want to fuck that guy up he's gonna lick my face <laughs> well no so, but he's just like i think he's just like the the sick fuck that sort of thing that sort of yeah. guy he would just like he enjoys i mean it's, it's again sounds a bit gross when you just say it, but it's just like start tasting the pain almost <laughs> yeah <laughs> see aew taste the pain that was that's a better name <laughs> what that sounds like a terrible slogan from like WCW, where the big boys play, taste the pain. Like, that could no. totally be an energy drink. Sleep even less. Like, what's going on today, Teddy? I don't. I don't know. Uh, I didn't really love this match, and there's one main reason why, and it's not just from the whole the licking and smooching and whatever. It's uh, I wanted Jake Hager to really fuck up Dustin Rhodes. I want Jake Hager to be. The big hurt, the guy who is this like monster, this big enforcer kind of thing. And he's up against a guy that's really, let's be honest. I mean, he's great. He's a Hall of Famer, all this other kind of stuff that we can talk about, all his accolades and everything. But he's well past his prime and he's there to put people over. And for Hager to have to struggle that much with it, I'm like, ah, that kind of sucks. Like he he should have come out of this like a a bat out of hell and instead it's just sort of like alright well Dustin Rhodes gave him a fight so now the next time I don't think that he's going to be destroying people and uh, it was a downgrade to me I felt like he looked stronger coming into this than he did coming out of it while I can agree with you in that regard I kind of feel like that's what wrestling is today so I'll live I, you, I feel <laughs> Yeah, well. I, I I I feel like you're you're reading your own assumption into thinking that Dustin's there to put people over. They might have seen like pe- people watching this match, people really getting behind Dustin and think, yeah, Dustin can he can still go in the ring. I think people are getting hung up about this age thing too much, especially after the Goldberg win. People forget that like the world champion of AEW up until tonight was a forty eight year old guy who who can still go. And Dustin can still go in the ring. So why just say, oh, we need to put this guy out to pasture? That's what WWE did. And so they lost quite a good years out of potentially making Goldust a decent mid-card act rather than just him being a jobber. You're you're looking at Dustin Rhodes and you're seeing Goldust. You're not seeing Dustin Rhodes. 
I think if Hager would have had matches ahead of time where he would have just destroyed people, then I would be more inclined to be okay with the idea that he put up more of a fight. Like if he would well, have like think, destroyed QT Marshall or something. Well, I think that's what we're going to have coming up. I think probably if you have a match this week on Dynamite or next week on Dynamite where he just runs over QT Marshall pretty quickly. Well, at this point, I feel like it's kind of backtracking for less than you would get out of it. Because now, I mean, we're going to skip ahead to it, but Jericho's not the champion. So it doesn't matter if he's as big of an enforcer. He can't enforce the champion. And... Now, if you're like, now we're going to show you afterward that he's an even bigger deal than what he was before that, then it's like, mm, that's kind of like putting the Parmesan cheese on my pasta after I started eating it. Uh, I'm, I'm hungry. I feel too. like, <laughs> you know, yeah. you're, you're entitled to that opinion. Yeah, I, I just feel like they've established that Dustin Rhodes is a name. He's not, he's not someone who's jobbing week in, week out. And so Jake Hager struggled to beat a guy who's well past his prime and is being beaten. He he's being protected to, to a fair amount, Dustin Rhodes. So he yeah, he had to struggle for it, but he did beat somebody who's a name in 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 a AEW. I feel like that means a little bit more than him just squashing a nobody. Uh for like a pay per view, yeah, for sure. If this would have been Hager against um Brendan Cutler, nobody would have given a shit. So mm. it is a good decision that Hager wins. Obviously, that's the direction that they should have gone in. Yeah. And I'm just kind of like, I wanted this to be more one-sided. I think that they kind of missed an opportunity there. And now they're going to have to rehab it a little bit. And if they would have gone in that direction, they wouldn't have to do that going forward. It's you know, it's Monday morning quarterbacking kind of, ow, my jaw just cracked. Goddamn. <laughs> uh, but like, I, I think we're also overplaying jake hager here it's not like we haven't seen this dude before he's still just jack swagger glad that he didn't do the we the people by the way well no but he they they got rid of that the first week just saying oh that's a stupid idea from bad creative but no i thought i thought the match was good like i had kind of down on it to you guys privately but i thought this match was a lot better than I expected, and they got over the standing head and arm triangle as a finisher, which I think is really cool. Yeah, but I, I, it, was not, it wasn't like the best match of the night by any stretch of the imagination, but it was good, and I think it was a good choice for the opener because mm-hmm. it was it was a warm up thing. You don't want to go in too hot to start with because then things could start to like seem weaker in comparison. We'll talk about that a bit yeah. later on <laughs> with the um the third and fourth matches of this show, but. I feel like this was a good a good place to start, and Dustin. It was like a match where you weren't expecting anything super spectacular, but Dustin played babyface really well, like him crawling away in to, like towards the ropes, like with the ankle lock. Like I've I've got, I think I've never really appreciated how good a babyface he can be with just like him always slapping the mat to try and get the crowds interested. And it's really basic stuff, but it works. And more people should do that. Uh, we went from there to Darby Allen versus Sammy Guevara, and that was a hell of a match. Didn't even start off as a real match, and was already something that I thought was awesome, because they were brawling outside of the ring, they did a whole bunch of different spots out there. In particular, one of my favorite parts in the entire night, Sammy Guevara's 6.30 senton, he jumps off the uh, turnbuckle, and... They go through a table on the outside. One of the best parts of the entire pay-per-view, I think. 
And Matt, before the bell even rang. Yep. I... It's hell of a move. Especially especially because we didn't get to see one at uh, Super Showdown. Yeah, really. I thought that this was great. The whole match from, you know, Darby Allen coming in and starting right out of the gate all the way up until the very end of it when the bell had already rang and, you know, they could actually have a quote-unquote match match. But I loved it. Yeah, this was good. Darby Allen is a big star. Yeah, Darby got a huge, he got a huge pop coming out of it. Like he's um he's really starting to resonate with the audience, which is a good sign. And yeah, the match was a lot of fun. It was high octane. It was it was a lot shorter than the opener. That was probably my only complaint is that AEW matches typically go too long, and I could have definitely uh had this match go an extra five minutes or so. And it would have been fine. What about but, that yeah, uh, really... that dive towards the beginning of that where he totally whiffed it? Oh uh, yeah, that was that was one like one small botch. Of the I thought they thing. played, but they played it off well. Yeah, because Sammy Guevara immediately kind of got the up hand by throwing the skateboard, and he Alan's limped face. away on the leg, which you know played off that. Oh, his foot got caught. You know those moves are risky. Yeah, I don't. I don't really mind mistakes if you can if you can weave it into the narrative. Yeah, like a good performer. Yeah, <laughs> instead of the ones that just go, "Ah, oh, we fucked that up. Let's try it again" or something, you know. But they did a good job with that. Uh, I still think that way too many people do way too many suicide dives, and that it's kind of defeated its purpose because we had that in every single match at least like four times, and I'm just over it. So now when they do that kind of mm. thing, and it's a little bit more on the risky side, and it's not really for anything i would have rather them not do that but i mean they followed it up with amazing stuff so it's not like that screwed up the match or anything like that it's just uh be a little bit more careful and maybe stop doing that a little bit but i loved it uh darby allen wins sammy Guevara escapes from a post-match beat down with the skateboard so that's not over with which means all that more that we were talking about if they want to put these people in the uh, blood and guts cage or whatever they were going to call it, then that ends up being something that makes a lot of sense because there's still going to be that feud going. It's not like Darby Allen wins a standard match and now they are buds or something. Like, no, this is going to keep going on and I want to see more of it. Thumbs up. And the idea of switching from something that's going to go from like a uh, high octane to, well, you could go down or you could go up. We went to the World Tag Team Championship match, Hangman Adam Page and Kenny Omega defending against the Young Bucks. Amazing match. Uh, part of me was going to uh, just troll and be like, I mean, this sucked. But it's like, nah, come on. Um, I thought that this was just awesome from start to finish. And... There were so many parts of this where I was like, all right, that's the finish. And I love when yep. a match can do that and not just do that because they are hitting finishers. There's a tendency, especially when it's like WWE, SummerSlam or WrestleMania or something like that, where they'll just have people do finishers and that's their near fall. And at that point, you're like, all right, well, you know, it's only three minutes into this. That super kick's not going to be the end of this or something like that. But when you tell the story good enough, and this is what this match did. They really did a good blend of story and action. It wasn't just one or the other. 
One of the other matches later on, I feel underwhelmed in that regard. But this one was like, when they were just doing all the spots, the spots were great. When they were getting into the storytelling aspects, I was invested. And I'm like, you know what? That's exactly what I'm hoping for. Great match with a lot of energy that tells a good story. If we could get more of these, my God, it'd be amazing. It's one of my favorite matches that they've ever put on in, uh, in AEW. Loved it from start to finish. This match was fucking incredible. I, I, this is my favorite AEW match to date. Any disagreements, Cal? No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> this match, this match fucking ruled. It was so good. This, I mean, I love tag team wrestling. I say a great tag team match. I've always held the opinion that a great tag team match is better than a great singles match. And when you have this type of match put together with these four guys, it's incredible. And Young Bucks, one of the greatest tag teams there's been in generation in a generation. And I think anybody who now says the Young Bucks just do spot matches can probably like be put to rest now. It's like, yeah, you're just you're living back in like 2010 or whatever. These guys can really put a good story together. But the real story of this match is, well, two stories. One, Kenny Omega's back. He's now the Kenny Omega again. And not a moment too soon. He had a good week. Yeah, he had a really good week. And secondly, Hangman Page should be a world champion by the end of the year because he is over, like... Massively over. Yeah, he he is so over. I could I couldn't believe like this, this is the same guy that walked into that match with Chris Jericho and pe- people were talking about oh what kind of why is it this guy or they haven't really done enough with Hangman Page to really make him investable as a world champion so obviously Chris Jericho's going to win to now being okay when are they actually going to like get past this Moxley Jericho all this other stuff and put the belt on Hangman because that's where it belongs it's like the cowboy shit chance all over the place fuck them up cowboy the like they were booing the Bucks so vociferously after they would attack uh, Hangman Page, he's he's the top babyface in the company right now. I feel it's hard to argue almost, the point. Almost ahead of Kofi. Yeah, it's him and Cody, and they're pretty much on par at this point. I watch thought that. Yeah, right, I mean, if like you didn't see it, you'd got to go back and watch it. Th- mm. This is the Bucks at their best. This is Kenny at his best. There was references to Marty Skrull, references to the Golden Lovers, the Motor City Machine Guns. I mean, anything you could have given. Like, it was just, this match is so good. It, it, it's such a, it's, it was told, told such a brilliant narrative of like, it started off with, okay, Kenny's good friends with the Bucks, and so they're going to do a little bit of just chain wrestling, but shake hands afterwards. And then when Matt tries to do the same thing with Paige, spits in his face, and we get an actual fight going. Which one of my notes that I wrote down was with JR's line. He's like, there's the evidence, the DNA running down the face of Matt Jackson. I'm like, ah, no. He should have licked the spit up afterwards. Again, the trend of the night. Like, there's a lot of weird mouth and face things and stuff. Uh, It's just odd. Uh, But. But it was quite clear about how the animosity between Paige and uh, the Young Bucks has like gone to a boiling point situation, and they started to drag Kenny into it as well. The Bucks started to let their anger spill over to their attack on Kenny Omega, so Kenny got angry with them, and it led to a more 
just physical, aggressive match between all of them. And yeah, it just there were so many great spots, but it wasn't. It was there were so many great spots, but it wasn't a spot fest because it was an actual like match bit, a match and a story being told in between all the amazing spots that were taking place. Yeah, it wasn't like they just had uh, some non-feud where strong hearts were also involved and they were just flipping extra things or something too. You know, mm. it's like they part of the narrative was the spots the way that it should be. You know, and for the first time in a long time, like the young bucks can be heels. This match kind of showed that. Yeah, and. But the the whole narrative is still like the, they're still teasing the breakup. Like when Omega almost couldn't hit, well, he couldn't hit the one winged angel, so Paige hits his own version of it. Like that was such a cool spot. But then the whole story is like Paige won the match pretty much by himself because after Kenny's like shoulder injury gave out, then Paige was the only one fighting against both Young Bucks and beat both of them pretty much single handedly at the end of it. So they're still telling the story that he's kind of the linchpin of the whole team and they did a really good thing afterward where it's not like uh the match is over and everybody's friends again there's still tension there's still some uneasiness and even when it comes to just uh the champions themselves they retained it yet there's that brief moment of oh is he gonna do the buckshot lariat and uh, not today that was cool too i like that a lot yeah, that was, that, that was such a nice tease, like, because they just did it because the commentators noticed it. So they gave you, so if anyone kind of missed it, you get had that impression. But it could have easily just been him, just a moment, momentary loss in concentration before he just went off with Kenny Omega afterwards. So you can play it off as nothing, but it people can read a lot of subtext into it as well. So yeah, I think this is the this is the best storyline they've done so far, and it's I'm glad it's. It still is. It's definitely not over at this point, which is great. I I really can't say enough. Like this match should be watched. Unfortunately, when you have something that's that big of a high, you're pretty much guaranteed to go down a little bit. And Nyla Rose and Chris Statlander followed this for the AEW Women's World Championship, and they just weren't up to the challenge of matching that. And I mean, I wouldn't have expected that to be the case no matter what, but yeah, this was one of my lower points. Um, not quite sure what to make out of that little alien thing and her entrance video. I like the, the death. She is stuff. Yeah. I still don't, I don't think the whole alien thing, not as much like offended about it as JR is, it seems, but Well no, no, that's part of the thing that's made me almost come to terms with it, is the fact of how much that JR and Tony Shivani <laughs> don't buy into it. <laughs> What's up with the nip up? Is that supposed like is that she supposed terrible. to be doing that for a joke that just didn't get over well, or did she fuck it up? She no, she was meant to get on her feet, but she fucked it up and uh, fell okay. over. I, I legitimately didn't know if that was supposed to be a joke or not, and I'm like, well, if it's not supposed to be a joke, obviously you fucked up. If it is supposed to be a joke, it wasn't a good enough joke that anybody laughed, so it was a fuck up. <laughs> it like, didn't work on either yeah, way. She, she was just that trying to play the only thing I don't like about AEW is you had to ask yourself, was this supposed to be a joke? Well, if it wouldn't have been a character that thinks that they're an alien and all that, I would have just been like, all right, you know, uh, 
Hikaru Shida fucked up. But with that, I was just like, well, she played around a little bit later on in the match where she was like laying down and oh, she like blew a kiss or I think something to, to Nyla. So it was like, well, they are making her goofy. I don't know if maybe that's she's going to be like part Emma or something here. But either way, I didn't like it. So it still was a downside mm. on that. But more suicide dives, all that stuff. And then it just sort of ended. Um, yeah, I mean. I, I wrote on Twitter off this one that I don't think you're going to get like a, a bigger golf in quality on the same card. Like it was one match following another is probably this one, maybe all year. Like some people say that this one was good on Twitter. So maybe they're seeing something more positive in it than I am. But I thought this sucked, frankly. I, I don't, I don't think there was much good about it. There were two good spots where the one where Statlander does like a handstand walk out of that, uh, Nyla Rose's knee drop spot and then the, the final uh, power bomb off the top rope even though that was, it could have been quite dangerous. Not quite as dangerous as Statlander missing her footing on a top rope superplex and so having to just essentially fall over and hope that it lands correctly because that could have ended really really badly. So yeah, I thought this was pretty dangerous pretty pretty poorly wrestled sloppy in many places and yeah i just these two aren't ready for this kind of level of of um yeah essentially they're not they're they're too green to be in this level but they kind of need to be at this level because if they weren't signed by AEW, they probably wouldn't would have gotten signed by wwe and been put in the performance center so they need to do something with them i think nyla is more ready than uh, oh absolutely Chris Statlander but yeah, she, I she think is Nyla is Batista in the sense of you gotta put her with somebody who can work yeah I, I feel like she has a presence about her and I I think with some of like her facial expressions during matches and some of the other stuff that she does that she does have something about her that could definitely be honed and molded into being a great superstar down the road. Like maybe in a couple of years time, we'll be looking back and saying, yeah, that Nyla Rose, she had a rough start, but she got better and better and better. And I hope that is the case. But right now she's a bit haphazard. Statlander's very green still. She's, I think she's only been wrestling for three years. And it's, it's one of the issues of AEW that we're probably going to have to keep going back to is that, Obviously, first of all, the women's division thing still is lagging far behind what we're seeing in NXT in particular. Mm -hmm. But also, these guys aren't going to get any better if they don't get more ring time. But if they get more ring time, they're going to have more bad matches because AEW doesn't have house shows. So I almost feel like they should set in stone almost that a lot of their women talent, all female talent, not just a female talent, but male and female talent that aren't very experienced should be allowed to work a lot of independence because they need to get experience. And wrestle as much as they can on dark too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wrestle a lot on dark, wrestle a lot on like try and get them onto independent dates. Obviously don't overdo it, but I don't think there's any real harm of it. I mean, you can get injured doing one match a week or five matches a week. It's like, injuries more often not just happen right but but they need like more experience under their belt if they're going to get a lot better 
Yeah, so it's disappointing to have yet another women's division match in AEW that ends up not going up to a standard that they obviously want it to be and that they admittedly try to promote that it is because they're never going to say like, well, we, we're we trying to figure it out. It's always just like, you know, Nyla Rose is one of the best women's wrestlers in the world today. And you're like, uh, okay, I, I can name like 30 of them on WWE alone that are better and that kind of thing. Like, you know, that kind of thing is annoying. Especially if people try to act like the only reason that you're down on it is because it's women's division match and all that. That's not the case. This wasn't my least favorite match of the night, but it still was a weaker match. So uh, that is a thing I just wanted to address because Callum did say that there are people on Twitter who felt like this was good. I think there's just a contingent of people who are always going to think women's wrestling is amazing for them that is Mm -hmm. the draw of wrestling so like it's hard to shake that that happens with everything though that's the thing i mean i always use my food analogies because food's one of those things that everybody does and some people like really burnt toast and they think that that's the best type of toast i think it's disgusting but you know, there's always going to be somebody out there that that's their draw, and you know, if the if that's the style that they like, then they're going to love that. And some people are going to love that just because that's what it is. Even like they wouldn't have had to even seen a match; they're just going to like it anyway because it's what it is. Kind of like some people do with movies. You know, oh, I'm going to go see that movie because that actor's in it. And you're like, well, are you interested in the movie? No, nah, but that actor's in it. Okay, uh, just that's one of those facts of life. So if you're one of those people that you're very easy to please in that kind of regard, then don't treat other people like they have to be the same either. There's nuances for everything. There's gray areas and all that stuff. Keep that in mind when I talk about the next match. Because Cody versus MJF, I am more down on this than I ever expected that I would have been. Uh it started off with the the live performance by Downstate, and I like Cody's theme a lot. Like, Not live. It, no, that was trash. <laughs> awful. Absolutely awful. And not awful in the sense that, like, some live performances aren't all that good because it's just, like, the acoustics or something. This didn't even seem like it was the band itself. This was, like, a, a shitty cover band doing a bad performance or something. This was just awful. And listen, I I think that that is a great song. I think that, you know, Downstate, obviously huge wrestling fans. It's probably fun for them. But they have a style that does not lend itself to live performances, it seems. Because that just wasn't good. Yeah, it came across like they can't really sing. Yeah. Especially the lead guy. And... The, the band didn't sound super great either. I, I don't know. Like, obviously, they've put something really good together for Cody's thing, but maybe it just needs the help of like going through like a recording studio or something like that to make it sound as good as it is. I mean, there's Whereas, people that have an entire career and they are auto-tuned. Yeah. And like, I don't I don't want to necessarily like, bury the, the band through because like, like I said, they created that song and that song is great, but... Yeah, putting it on a live performance, it's not quite... Well, I say, yeah, it's actually quite Motorhead for Triple H's performances because Motorhead forgot all their lyrics for their songs. So. Not, this, uh, <laughs> I'll say this. 
WrestleMania 18, Drowning Pool played Triple H to the ring with a very awkward rendition of his theme song. And that was the worst live performance I'd ever heard until tonight. I still like the whole, it's all about the game and how you play it. It's all about the game. And if you can play it, it's all about the game. I, think, I, I like it. that because it's fucking Lemmy and Lemmy can get away with that. <laughs> That'd be like if this one was just like, I give it all away, I give it all away, give it all away, I, I give it all away, then I give it away. <laughs> just this is just trash. And uh, I mean, I don't think that this was the right time to have like, here's the big group of people coming out again. And Stephen Amell's there and Cody's got this neck tattoo now, but that's no, you know. So now we all know why he was wearing a scarf during that, uh, like, uh, meet, not, not meet and group, but that exhibition thing they did at that, was it C- C2E2? Yes. Yeah. Neck tattoo. Neck tattoo. This, this neck tattoo. Gross. Was all anybody could talk about. I was hoping well, it was fake. I, I wrote that down too. Just, yeah. I wrote down, I really hope that the neck tattoo is a temple one. And it's but, not. Listen. Cody is clearly a great booker. He's clearly got a great mind for the business. He does occasionally like go over the overboard with a lot of stuff. And if he's gotten a permanent tattoo on his neck with that like American flag symbol, the I assume it's like yeah, the nightmare family thing, then he probably should have reconsidered it. Mm-hmm. Like. Uh, anywhere else on his body, I mean, it's not. It's still not the most great, great tattoo. But anywhere like, else on his body, it's totally fine. Yeah, on his um, shoulder, you know. Like, yeah, on his shoulder, on his like, like get yeah, on his on his back somewhere, like on his arm, on his bicep. He's got a big enough bicep. He could definitely fit it on there. But yeah, that that location is. I think he's going to live to regret that one day. Yeah, the the big one for me is where Jr. just goes. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine being Brandy and living with Cody? All he's been thinking about is MJF and tattoos. I think that one was a surprise. Like, ugh, poor yeah. Cody. But that's not where this, like, stopped being kind of confusing and not all that good to me because I found myself getting distracted. Like, this wasn't holding my attention. And I was super, super into this feud. I'm a huge fan of Cody. Huge fan of MJF. Two of the best people that are on this roster. And I was bored. And they had so many things in this. And I started writing them down eventually. I think I put them in the Bleacher Report article. But it was like, I feel like this was quantity over quality. Like, they just sat there and said, we'll do this and we'll do that and we'll do that and we'll do that. And none of it was actually all that great. It was just on paper something that seemed like it would build to a really important thing. You got bloody MJF. You got a low blow. You got into typical fashion of the theme of the night with uh, these random like licks in the face and all that other stuff. You got MJF biting Cody's toe because his foot's injured. And you got MJF throwing a drink on the fan. You got Brandy throwing something and Wardlow's up to stuff. And Arn Anderson takes a bump and all all this stuff and it culminates in the diamond ring being how MJF wins. And at the end of this, I'm like, this is a lot of crap that I don't feel like any of it really mattered. And I just didn't like it all that much. It wasn't the worst match in the world, 
don't think anybody needs to start jumping into those conclusions, but I felt so underwhelmed. And since I had my hype up that high, that made it even worse. I will agree with you in the fact that there was a lot going on. I tried, they vetoed this, but I wanted to have the word Gaga in my fightful news article about this because there was a lot. That being said, I loved it. Like, I, I had fun. You don't see this kind of match in wrestling every day, and it was fun. But, Callum, you're the tiebreaker, so what do you think? Well, I sit somewhere in the middle, really. <laughs> in that I thought it was a good match, but it wasn't as good as I was hoping it to be. So I feel like there was a lot of stuff in it, and it made the match good. But I was expecting more of a, a vicious brawl, a bit more of like animosity. Whereas I feel like they went out to this match, and obviously I'm not an expert in in-ring psychology. I wouldn't tell these guys what to do. But it almost felt like they went into this thinking, okay, let's try and make try and make MJF an in-rings guy this match. Or try and make it like this. MJF's obviously been great on the microphone. He's got character work. But let's make this his opportunity to really stand out in the ring with Cody. Whereas they should have gone, okay, Cody takes 90% of this match, beat the fuck out of MJF all around the ring. MJF kind of occasionally gets a few shots in with thanks to Wardlow's distractions or like thumb in the eye or attacking the broken toe, which he did do. And that was like a nice touch to it. But most of it should just be Cody beating the fuck out of this guy, not going for pinfalls until right near the end and just beating him around the arena because that's what people wanted to see. And MGF should have just snuck a victory at the end of it to keep the feud going. So at least it looks like they'll keep the feud going. I think it was just a bit too 50-50 for me. Yeah, it shouldn't have been a wrestling match. It should have been a fight. Yeah, but I maybe they were put off by the fact of, well, Moxley versus Jericho is probably going to be a fight. So do we want two like, main event brawls pretty close next to each other? Or do we make one of them a bit more wrestling orientated and one of them a bit more like fight and brawling orientated? And they went more with the Jericho and Moxley side of that. So I feel I feel like they thought that this would be a star making match for MJF. And I'm not, again, it was a good match, but I don't think it's a star making one. I think they should have made this about MJF sneaking a victory out of Cody, even though Cody dominated the entire match. And you make the star making match. The next one where you actually go a bit more 50-50 or you start presenting, okay, MJF is the real threat to Cody, as opposed to like doing it right out of the gates with this one. I think, yeah, like, like Tony says, I think there was just too much stuff and it didn't amount to as much as I was hoping it to be. Also, I think we like buried the lead a little bit where we didn't talk about how tanned MJF was looking this entire... I thought like... Like, how much of an Oompa Loompa can you actually look like? <laughs> if you'd have broken out into song, that could be the only thing that would have made it even more like, even more fitting. Well, they already had so much going on that they didn't have time for the song. And if they would have had a song, mm. I really hope that Downstate wouldn't have played back up for it. <laughs> oh. Well, before we move on, I want to toss out some plugs. We haven't gotten around to doing that yet. Um, one of those is the merchandise shops, Tee Public and Redbubble. Check them out if you want to pick up a t-shirt or something like that for not only just the smart out moment side of things, but Fanboy Synonymous and a Mango Tees. And if you don't know what a Mango Tees are, check that out. If you don't know what Fanboy Synonymous is, then go to fanboysynonymous.com 
and check out all the things on the geek culture spectrum outside of pro wrestling that you can find there. Mostly movie content, but sometimes there's TV stuff and video game stuff and whatever. One of the more recent ones that I put up was my pitch of what I think Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and 3 movies should be about. And, you know, there's plenty of other things. So check that out. And if you want to show your support for anything, whether it's fanboys or it's Markout Moment or it's just uh, in general, all that stuff, and maybe some other projects that are in the works, then one of the best ways of doing that is the Patreon. There's a Patreon for Fanboys Anonymous. There's also one for Markout Moment. So it's a little bit more directed if you want to support one more than the other. And in those, for instance, on the Markout Moment side of things, you've got the $10 Dark Cast tier which gives you Patreon-exclusive episodes. We're probably going to be doing another one of those in the next uh, two, three weeks, something like that. And then there's the Mailbag Priority tier, where you can pick our brains about stuff when we're not doing the mailbags, which we're not going to do one of them until after WrestleMania, so take advantage of that while you can for February and March. And then there's the Pick Your Poison tier, where you can donate to actually get some kind of a special feature or a gimmick going that you are targeting you know the idea of being like i really want you guys to do this kind of thing and you know let's sweeten the pot you guys do that now then we do it it's kind of how that works so if you do have the spare change it's all greatly appreciated even if it's just a dollar because the more people that donate a buck the more that we can do on this thing and we can get more podcasts out there better quality all the other kind of things to go along with that so thank you to all the people that are supporting the patreon thank you to everybody who uh can support us in any other way as well the likes, the shares, the follows, all that kind of stuff. Just keep all that in mind. Let's move on here to Pac versus Orange Cassidy. I've said it before. I'm sure I'll say it many, many more times. Orange Cassidy is one of my favorite things about AEW. And he has been since the very, very first thing that they did with him. That uh, Battle Royal, if I remember correctly. I was just like, I'm digging this Orange Cassidy guy. This seems funny, and I hope that it's not just one of those jokes that falls short after the next appearance or something. And here we are like a year later, and I'm like, God damn, Orange Cassidy wrestling a match. I love it. I absolutely loved this match uh, from start to finish. I don't quite understand the random Lucha Bros appearance here. I Maybe I'm losing track of something if there was like some kind of beef between them and best friends, but... Like the fans chanting no pulp, uh, the athleticism that Orange Cassidy just shows off all the time. Big, big thumbs up. Pac wins, which is something that should happen. Orange Cassidy looks great. And even in this loss, just awesome. Yeah, I can't disagree with any of that. It was, yeah, it was, it was great. Uh, Cassidy, his gimmick is so over with the crowd. It's like it, it, it's it's superb in, and it's probably making so many people like. I imagine that uh, Jim Cornette, if he reviews this show, is probably probably blew up during this match. If he didn't already like blow up during the Young Bucks match, uh, but yeah, this was really really good. Cassidy looked great in the moments that he put together. Pack is great because Pac is one of the best best and smoothest wrestlers out there. Um, they got some involvement with the best friends, which is good. Again, yeah, like you said, not super certain why it was the Lucha Bros that came out and helped, but I guess they had to think of a finish somehow, which didn't make Casty look too bad. 
and but he locks on the brutalizer, gets quick tap out. That's the way it should have been. And Puck took eighty percent of this match, like again, like it should have been. But there's small spots that uh, Orange Cassidy had got really over with the crowd. I probably actually like this match a lot. I would say a lot more, but considerably more than Cody versus MJF. But yeah, it was it was really good. I I uh, will talk about it afterwards, but Rob, you give your thoughts first. So I will be the guy to say I don't love the Orange Cassidy spots. I oh. think mostly I think mostly because I don't I think it's just a way for the fans to jerk themselves off. And Pac <laughs> Freshly as squeezed. a straight man as a straight man totally worked. This was it started out really like ugh. For me. And then this fucking kicked in the high gear. And I loved it. Because Pac trying to, you know, just be the straight man. And do the black arrow. And he's just rolling around. And then he flashes in the shit-eating grin. And pops up and hits him with a suicide dive. And starts wrestling him. And it was just like, oh, that was cool. More of that. That was great. Here's, here, well, here's my issue then. See, I watched this and kind of thought towards the end of it, okay, they put on this really, good, really really good match, and people say, okay, so maybe this could be the start of transitioning Orange Cassidy into a bit more of just a wrestler, where you could take it a bit more seriously. But then I, when I was typing that, I thought, okay, but then he's just a wrestler, he's not Orange Cassidy anymore. Exactly. So... He, he's in this weird situation, but I think the one thing that really stands in his favour is there's not really anybody... There's a lot of people like him on the independent circuit. There's a lot of people that have what have tried to emulate the Orange Cassidy thing or have taken like a, a gimmick which sounds so stupid and ridiculous but turns out like it gets the crowd excited and it works out for them. But... More people in AEW don't really apply that gimmick as much or as, like, heavily. Whereas Orange Cassidy is still being his character from the independent circuit. But because he's the only one, it works. And frankly, if the crowd gets so excited for it and he seems to be attracting a good amount of positive attention, it's not a load of people just saying, oh, this Orange Cassidy guy, like, he's making a mockery out of professional wrestling and all that other stuff. Then... Yeah, keep running with it. Keep running with it as far as it will possibly go. Eventually, well, I can only imagine that eventually people will get sick of it. But until then, you've got this really good resource that you can play off of. So play off of it as much as you can. I think the difference between somebody like an Orange Cassidy and a Joey Ryan is Joey Ryan, from what I've seen at the very least, is very one note. Like, you grab his dick, he does something with it. That's the joke. So after a while, that's just going to be like, all right, you, you do the dick thing yet? And that's it. And all the rest of it is just leading up to that point. Whereas Orange Cassidy, if they wanted to, they could have him three matches from now, ten matches from now, or something like that, get pissed, and just wrestle a match like normal. And he's athletic as all hell. And that would just be like the moment where people would just go, oh, damn, like he's fucking that guy up, you know, like that kind of thing. He actually has things beyond it. Like it, it's one character, so it's one note in that way. But it's not one 
joke within that. You know what I mean? And yeah, he does multiple stuff with it. Yeah, like the, he he isn't just doing the little kick thing. If that was it, then that would get boring after a while. But he's doing things like he's got the hands in the pockets, and when he's got the hands in his pockets, he's doing some different variations of like still being able to be athletic. So by now, I've seen him do the tope suicida with his hands in his pockets, but I didn't see him rolling around with the whole like playing around with this and trying to do that. And he's innovative in his character. So it's a funny enough gimmick as it is. And then even if that wasn't his gimmick and he was just doing this stuff, I'm like, I'm entertained. You know, he's just fun to watch. Give him the belt. (laughs) (laughs) And our last match was our main event, the AEW world championship. Chris Jericho defending against John Moxley. Completely unlike Downstate, we started off with a musical number of a choir singing Judas, and this was wonderful. Way better than it had any right to be. This was such a cool moment. I think this these were the two guys who are probably enjoying this promotion the most. Moxley gets to be free. Jericho is presented like the biggest fucking legend of all time. And entrances like this enhance that. And But unlike Downstate, it was fucking good. And it was real good. Like, yeah, I'd like to see that big entrance for more big shows. Yeah, after listening to that, I'm kind of thinking, I wonder how loads of other like hard rock and heavy metal songs sound performed by a choir. Yeah, really. Because Judas, Judas fits pretty well. And they uh, did a little good, uh, that's a good character moment for Jericho because it's like, well, he's douchey. Of course, he's going to do something like that, especially because they then played his song afterwards. So it wasn't even like he came out to that and that's the end of it. It was like, no, we're playing the song twice. And for Moxley, they have the whole thing with the entrance uh, announcements where he wanted him to say zero fucks given. So that's another little character moment. Good way to start off the whole thing. Just even though everybody should know these characters by now, if you didn't by any chance, you'd be like, oh, look at this asshole. He's got a choir singing him. Come on. And then the other guy, oh, I got no fucks given and all this. Other You're like, all right, he's a badass. I get it. Good way to sell it. We had another um, thing with the whole the biting and whatever. Moxley bites Jericho stitches. <laughs> It's like the theme of the night. Taste of pain. <laughs> yeah, I really don't mind it with Mox because Mox is crazy. Yeah, I buy it more in the idea of Moxley doing that than MJF biting Cody's foot. Well, what would you do if Cody had a broken toe? Stop do you not it. bite it? <laughs> you did that already, though. Stop it again. It's, twist. it's effective. Yeah, twist it. Yeah, yeah punch twist it. it like, uh... Bop it. You. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely wouldn't go. I know what I gotta do. I start tie wrestling, like do tie wrestle, <laughs> play footies. <laughs> yeah, spitting to hold, but literal. Yeah. Um, I wrote this down because uh, I thought that this was great. Throughout the whole night, this is one of those things we've talked about a lot with AEW, and plenty of other people have talked about it. Even Jim Ross has. That the officiating in W and uh, AEW is very strange in that they they almost come off 
even less intelligent than the WWE refs. Because like the WWE ref will be like, his back's turned, and they didn't see something, and then they'll turn around and go like, hey, did you just do something? Well, I didn't see it, so I'll just let it go. These referees at AEW are like, hey, why'd you do the thing that you just did? Uh, you better not. And it's so dumb. And at this point, I'm sitting there going, why do they not just throw people out? Like the Wardlow thing and and all that. I'm like, just tell them to fucking leave ringside. Like, this is so, you're a referee. Do your referee job. So they do that with this. Audrey sends, uh, uh, she sends the um, Proud and Powerful and um, Jake Hager out. And she goes, extra with it the whole you know rolling the the hands and you know you're out of there kind of thing and i wrote this note down because i fucking love it it's one of those things about wrestling that i just think is so dumb but i can't help but smile about it when people get ejected from ringside and they act like they just got like hit by a car or something it's just like oh my god no it's the worst thing in the world like they're like they fall over their the look on their faces they just got told that like I don't know that their dog got hit by a car or something. Like it's just like the Christmas worst. Christmas is cancelled. That's yeah. Thing. It's just like oh my god, this is the worst thing that could have ever possibly happened to me. Like you know, I think it's hilarious, and I loved that moment. And uh, I thought it was funny that they were kind of arguing when Sammy Guevara came out. They're like he's a like a thief in the night, like a snake in the grass. It's like <laughs> we're just gonna um, go like synonym night here and just be like what is sammy Guevara? he's a thieving snake in the night grass and he's a this and that and you know but they did a good job in this match i loved it i thought it was great storytelling of moxley being a badass who keeps taking all this punishment and he's bleeding in a bunch of different spots and jerko's trying to figure out ways to get around it and cheat and ultimately comes down to the idea that moxley he's got what it takes and he wins yeah, yeah. Just, uh, yeah, really good. Pretty, I would say it's like it definitely wasn't as great a match as the tag team match, but it was very close to to it. Uh, yeah, it was a really good main event angle. They told the story of Jericho going after the eye patch. You had Moxley bleeding pretty early on, but then you have all the interference. Aubrey throws them out, but I think I would have been annoyed. I wouldn't say annoyed, but I wouldn't have liked this match nearly as much if it had had all that interference and Jericho still would have won. I feel like the interference made the win better because it had Moxley overcoming so many odds to get the victory. Like had to take care of everybody, like assaulting him, like Jericho's entire inner circle army. And if Jericho had won, it would have just been oh, okay. It's just like this is what it's going to be for a little while longer. Not that Jericho was a bad champion, it's just I, I don't think I would have looked forward to too many more matches where the championship's on the line and it's just going to be constant, constant interference. But the big, and also the second big story of the entire match was Moxley's eye patch. So Jericho attacks the other eye of Moxley towards the end. So you think, oh, okay, Moxley's blind, and so that's how Jericho gets the win. But Moxley fools everyone by pulling the eye patch off and revealing that his eye's fine. Which is great because I'm sure I'm, I wasn't too against the eye patch, but I know it was annoying quite a lot of people, and so that's clearly out of the window now. And yeah, uses that to get the victory. It was a really well told story throughout the entire match, and yeah, it was a great crowning moment for Moxley. So 
I got to catch a bit of Tony Khan's media scrum. And he talked about New Japan. And he talked about how he didn't mind that guys worked in New Japan, even though the relationship hasn't been reciprocal. I bring this up because the IWGP US champion is now the AEW world champion. So we're getting closer to bridging that gap. But if you'd have told me a year ago that Dean Ambrose was going to be the world champion in a new promotion after beating Chris Jericho, I'd have thought, wow, what are you smoking? And that in the post-match celebration, he would go, what the fuck? Hey, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love it. I love Moxley. I think he feels so rejuvenated. He seems so happy. I can't wait to watch him as champion now. It'll be a new dynamic for the television show instead of being, you know, hey, it's Jericho and Jericho's awesome, but, you know, what heel thing is Jericho going to do? Le Champion? Like, it's going to be Moxley. I don't even want to say like Austin because I feel like the constant comparisons to an older superstar hurt today's people. But I'm looking forward to the babyface chaos that John Moxley's going to bring to AEW. It's it's going to be a nice dynamic tools to have a fighting champion as well. Because obviously Jericho plays the, the heel, the snivelly thing, which is good for a while. And it's, it was a good launching pad, but now we're going to have someone who'll probably want to defend the title more often on Dynamite as well, which could attracts like more people to watching it as well and you know i mean now we look forward to dynamite and we got uh lance archer coming in you know he's got history with moxley we just saw jeff cobb fight moxley like i'm excited for what's next for AEW. so in typical fashion let's try to guess what happens next um right now Obviously, we have two champions retained and one new champion, so maybe they change one direction, maybe they change in another direction, but where are you thinking? Uh, let's start with the women's title. Um, I still lean in the direction that Nyla Rose is going to keep that belt for a little while and eventually lose it to Sheeta, who I think eventually loses it to Baker. Yeah, or... They skip the middle step and they have Baker win it in three way or something. Yeah, I'm I'm not super certain at the moment. Like I feel like if I was to guess, then I think Sheeta would be the right option. I just don't know if they'll turn Nyla Rose babyface or not because she was getting a more positive reaction than Statlander was in that match, and they've been pretty receptive mm-hmm. to how the audience is treating each superstar at the moment. So they might pivot and decide to go a bit more of like okay Nyla Rose is like this big ass kicking baby face instead mm-hmm. but if they stick with her down the hill route then she makes the most sense to me she's the most polished wrestler out of the remaining women on the roster and I would assume that Big Swole is probably the next challenger and then Nyla beats her obviously because if Big Swole won then she'd be the next champion and that kind of beats well, the purpose of the well, whole who, who won the um, Fatal 4-Way match? Sheeta Sheeta did win it, yeah. So realistically, I think Sheeta's probably going to be a, a challenger down the road pretty soon. She's probably one of the most high-ranked ones, right? 
I think that yeah. she was number five, if I remember correctly. I'll check AEW's rankings while we go through this because yeah. that's going to obviously determine quite a lot of it. But yeah, I've, I've, I mean, Sheeda maybe immediately doesn't make sense, especially if you're going to have her win it soon. But they need, to, I mean, she's, um, so she's third at the moment in the rankings. Okay. So, and Statlander's obviously second. She's lost now. So she'll probably head downwards. Riho's still up there as well. And I imagine she'll get an opportunity pretty soon. Yeah, she should at the very least. But that's yeah. going to be like one of those throwaway things. It's like, Riho challenges for the title, doesn't win it back. Let's move on from her. Let's go to the next person. Let's do this, blah, blah, blah. Because yeah. um, Swole's not even on the rankings at the moment. So it's unlikely she, well, they'd have to do something quickly with her to push her up to get a spot in it. What about the tag titles? I mean, I had thought that there was a really, really good chance that the Young Bucks would have won this, and now that they didn't, it doesn't rule out the idea that they don't win it down the line, no matter what. They could always just do some kind of like repeat scenario or something, but uh, I don't know. I, this one, I'm feeling if they really put a whole lot of investment in the Dark Order, they could go in that direction, but part of me thinks Lucha Brothers. Dark Order. I think they're about to get a huge push from the Exalted One. And I think it's Dark Order, specifically Grayson and Uno. And then the Bucks will be the Dark Order. Yeah, I think I would go lean towards the Dark Order as well. I think it's either going to be Dark Order or, or on an outside chance, Santana or Ortiz. Because then you can give the inner circle something. Again, why put putting the tag titles on them if Jericho's not going to be in the world title picture in a little while? And for that world title, there's five people that I'm hovering around, and uh, I don't think that they would be all that surprising, but those five people are in no particular order. MJF, Kenny Omega, Hangman, Adam Page. Um, I got him blanking on the other two. I just had it in my brain. Jake Hager is one of them, I imagine? Uh... No, he wasn't one of them, actually. Um, uh, let, me, let me bring it up. I, I don't know why my brain just had that brain fart. Um, Page, MJF, oh, uh, Jericho winning the title back, Hangman Adam Page, and Pac. Those were the five. Now, okay. out of those, I don't think that they would just give the title back to Jericho because I kind of feel like you're just repeating the same ground again and they might not necessarily want to go in that direction. And I don't believe a whole lot in Pac getting that big of an upgrade. But even though MJF would be the main heel in that scenario, just as much as Nyla Rose could end up being a babyface, Moxley could turn heel. It's not going to be the end of the world if that happens. I wouldn't think that that would happen, but they could get around doing that, and they could do something like Paige being the one that beats Moxley. Or they could have, for instance... Everybody keeps uh, doing this whole thing where they're teasing Adam Page turns heel. What if Kenny Omega does? And if he does, Omega beating Moxley makes a lot of sense. I don't think any of that's happening until at least All Out, though. So we got plenty of time for that. I mean, I appreciate, as we talk about this, like the fact that there are so many viable challenges to Moxley's title reign that you could see them pushing certain people and then okay that that would make sense for them to be the world champion park makes a lot of sense as an ex as an upcoming challenger soon kenny omega 
makes sense down the road because they've already fought as well. Page is being pushed quite heavily and he's getting over with the crowd. MJF makes sense if you wanted to transition that into a feud with Cody. But I kind of see MJF maybe getting the world title a, a little bit further down the road. At the moment, the two well, two names that we haven't discussed that might lead into this as well is Jake Hager's one of them that I feel. The, if Jericho's not going to be pushed into the world title picture anymore, they might decide, okay, if we're going to keep the inner circle strong and going forward, then we build up Jake Hager in the next two or three months, and then he wins the world title. Or Lance Archer, if they actually want to push him to a high level pretty soon after his debut, because Archer's a really big dude, and he had a really, really banner year for New Japan Pro Wrestling, so he's in a good spot right now so i wouldn't be surprised if they decide to head in that direction as well but it would have to obviously rely a lot on him getting out with the crowd pretty quickly as a as a big dominant heel so i think at some point moxley versus mjf headlines pay-per-view i think adam page is going to be a great challenger especially because he hasn't really had a personal issue with Moxley. Moxley just said in the media scrum, he's not Jericho. He wouldn't mind giving Cody a shot. You know, I think the doors are wide open, but I definitely think we get a Lance Archer, John Moxley title match on Dynamite real soon. Maybe a bloody and gutsy one. <laughs> I got bad news for you guys. Tony Khan confirmed that that is the name of the match. See, oh, if you were to let's say put the guns ahead and who's going to beat Moxley for the title, I would say Tiger right now. I, I don't know why I'm kind of thinking heel Kenny Omega. Gun to my head, Kenny Omega, and it's in Chicago. Bang, makes sense. Yeah, that's AEW Revolution. Better event than Super Showdown. Just like let's let's not even be funny. A really good event. Yeah, a low point in the women's title match, but like one low point on a whole show is not bad. I had more than the one low point, but at the same time, the low points weren't so offensive or something that obviously this wasn't a pay per view point where it's labeled Revolution sucks or something like that and. You know, uh, if everything was this level, then there wouldn't be things to complain about all that much because then everything would just be good or uh, a little bit disappointing or great. And that's how uh, much more can you ask for when it comes to that stuff? Not everything's going to be perfect. And the good news is, unlike Tony's horrible speaking into existence of The Fiend, <laughs> we're still covering AEW and it hasn't turned into a TNA. Well, TNA's turning into a TNA again, so yeah, <laughs> you know, you never know. You never know what happens when it comes to that stuff. But yeah, uh, mark my words, Cam Velasquez, he wins the uh, title from John Mox. <laughs> no, um, we don't know the whole schedule of the year for AEW. We kind of assume that they're going to follow the same sort of standardized protocol that they did before, where it's going to be double or nothing. It's going to be the next event. A little bit later on in the year, we're going to get it all out, and then we'll probably get full gear again. But maybe they'll add a couple more 
little more pay per views. Yeah, they could do something like that. But if this is just one of the four, then this was good. You know, I'm totally uh, fine with that. And um, we'll see what happens with the next one. But yeah, we'll be covering that. Same as we do with everything else. And that means that you should be staying tuned because there are, of course, more and more pay-per-views that are coming your way. Uh, one of them is coming up next week because it's just this never ends. And that is WWE Elimination Chamber on next Sunday. So the next podcasts that we're going to be doing outside of the hot tags, we're going to do the Elimination Chamber predictions and then the Elimination Chamber post-show. Maybe a dark cast in between at some point, depending on the times and if we get inspired and hey, we'll actually do it and everything like that. But stay tuned for that. I got a couple more things I'm going to plug. But in the meantime, I'm going to pass the baton over to these guys because they haven't gotten a chance to plug their stuff yet. Yeah, you can follow me, Rob, on Twitter at DudeRelease. On Instagram, same thing. And you can check out Fightful.com. And WrestleZone.com. Callum? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Wigmeister14. Uh, you can read all of the weekly stuff on Smart Cat Moment, including my power rankings. But check out all the other weekly articles while you're there. And if you want even more of my writings that aren't just on Smart Cat Moment and Fanboys Anonymous, check out Bleacher Report. Check out Eat Wrestling News. But if you want more of anything in general, just keep following the whole a mango tree side of things because you never know what stuff's going to pop up. It might even be brand new projects. It might be just more of the same stuff, but just more of it. Who knows? Uh, I said before, Limitation Chamber's coming up, and then throughout the whole March, we've also got March uh, Madness's version for Smart Cow Moment called Smart Madness, and that tournament is going to be up in, well, couple hours at this point because uh rabbit rabbit everybody it's march 1st so we will be trying to figure out who the best wwe superstar of the past decade was check out the tournament up on the website i think i got it set for like 10 in the morning or something like that so uh start voting when that goes up and we'll carry that on throughout the month we've got plenty of wrestlemania coverage that we're going to be doing over the course of the next bunch of weeks we got the takeover tampa event and so on and so forth, Hall of Fame and blah, blah, blah. And there's also like coming up, blah. I like the first blah, the third one, I don't know. By that point, it's a little played out. Um, it's so stupid. <laughs> uh, this weekend, uh, not the weekend that you're listening to this right now because it would have already passed, but next weekend, the 7th and the 8th, there was also the 24-hour video game charity marathon that Dace is doing Chris Dace, the Dace Man Show, and I am involved in that as part of uh, Fanboys Anonymous. So if you are a hardcore gamer or you really love people on Twitch gaming and just kind of want to see Dace and a bunch of people like myself playing a bunch of stuff, I don't even know exactly what the whole schedule is. I know that we do some of the games are kind of on the one side, some of the games are on the other side. There is a variety of different things, but that's happening starting at noon eastern on the 7th going until noon eastern on the 8th before elimination chamber so if you want to tune in tune in if you can donate to the messages project which is the charity that is being sponsored then donate to that 
and share things around, follow things, spread the word for everything that we got going on and all the stuff that we're doing. And just keep tuning in, everybody. Thanks for listening to this one, by the way. We'll see you next time. This has been another Smart Out Moment. And we're being counted out. Thank <laughs> you.